The Legal Corner Podcast Series. Welcome to today's episode of The Legal Corner, a podcast which covers a variety of legal issues to keep you informed. Hosted by attorney at law Colin Dinoon and communication specialist Leonardo Torres. It's a pleasure to be with you again for another episode of the Legal Corner podcast series. As we continue to get into season three of our podcast, uh, we continue to have some more diverse topics, interesting topics for our listeners, and we're so happy that you could join us again for another episode. Today's episode, we'll be traveling to our sister CARICOM neighbor, Jamaica, because as you know, uh, the Legal Corner podcast series is based in the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago, and we'll be traveling to Jamaica today, um, as our guest is from there, and our episode for today is entitled Data Protection in the Age of Chat GPT. I know for some of you, it's a very popular thing that you all have been seeing online. It's a new technological innovation that has been making news for quite some time. And today we'll be talking about data protection in the age of chat GPT. So our guest for today, her name is Justine Collins, and she was called to the bar in Jamaica in 2016 after completing her studies at the Norman Manley Law School. She received a Bachelor of Laws degree, LLB, with honors from the University of the West Indies, Cable Campus Barbados. She presently serves as a Justice of the Peace for the Parish of St. Andrew. Justine joined Hart Muirhead Fata in 2016 and became a partner in July 2023. Justine is a holder of a Master's of Law in Commercial and Corporate Law with distinction from Queen Mary University of London. She has an avid interest in technology law with research focus on blockchain applications, computer law, financial technology or fintech, e-commerce law, and she also has a certificate in fintech law and policy from Duke University and a certificate in fintech from the Side Business School at the University of Oxford. She's a certified information privacy professional for European law and certified information privacy manager from the International Association of Privacy Professionals. Justin Collins, it's such a pleasure to have you on today's episode of the Little Corner podcast series. How are you doing today? Hi, Leonardo. Thank you so much for having me. Um, happy to be here from Jamaica, but as you know, I'm a Caribbean person at heart. Um, I met your co-host, Colin, while I was studying in Barbados. So, you know, just very happy to be invited on your exciting podcast. <laughs> Lovely. We are so happy to have you. So let's get right into today's episode. Without further ado, tell us first, what is ChatGPT and how does it work? Okay. Thanks so much for that, Leonardo. So ChatGPT is one of the newest artificial intelligence platforms that we're seeing coming into the space. So AI or artificial intelligence is not something that's new. It's been something that's been considered, researched, and been in progress from the 50s. It was coined on Dartmouth College's campus, so it's not a new phenomenon. But what we're seeing recently is a lot of generative 
AI products being used. So we're seeing ChatGPT is one of them, but we're seeing a number of products and platforms coming out where they're using what we call artificial intelligence, which sort of mimics human intelligence, where the computer essentially is able to, you, they're trained on certain data sets and they're able to then predict certain things and produce um, output for us. And ChatGPT is one of them. You put in a prompt, you put in a question, and there is an answer that is generated based on the data sets it's trained on and then things that it's able to sort of pull from the internet. Okay, so essentially giving uh, ChatGPT a question or you're requesting some information and it basically feeds that information to us um, in a very technological way, very advanced way. I'm guessing that's really what it really entails. Well, in a nutshell, you can ask ChatGPT anything. So they have now a mobile app or you can use it on your browser and you can ask them anything. You can ask them, you know, for I usually do this this AI presentation for um, legal audiences, and so what I do is I, I, I simulate a video where I ask ChatGPT to draft a, a very simple will for John Brown leaving his entire estate to Mary, and within forty six seconds, uh, a will is drafted with the recitals, with the appointment of the executor, with the entire residue of the estate being given to to Mary. And so not only is it very, very technical things, you can ask chat GPT, hey, you know, what's the time today or, or what, what's happening in the world today? So you can ask a number of questions and you it's able to then generate an answer. It's a chat bot that generates a response from a, a will, a legal document um, to an essay on the American Revolution to something as simple as, hey, you know, I'm, I'm kind of feeling down. What do you think? What should I do to, to help me feel better? Or some person say that they use chat GPT as their personal assistant. Um, you know, can you organize this list for me or, or something like that? It's able to do a number of things because it's, a, it's intelligent in a sense. So... We're relying on the platform, we're asking prompts, and we're getting responses based on not only what they've been trained on, but also just what we're seeing, what is able to pick up from the internet. So it generates a response. Right. So I'm getting basically an overwhelmingly positive view of what it entails. And I've heard a lot about it, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm not even sure if probably any of our listeners have not heard about this as well, because, you know, podcast is a bit... Uh, on the innovative side as well. So I'm sure people who is into these things would have heard of it at some point. But you know, in life, as human beings, nothing comes with its cons, so to speak. And can you talk to us now on what are the pitfalls of relying on chat GPT? Well, thank you for that, Leonardo. And once again, I decided to ask chat GPT what they thought the pitfalls of using chat GPT are. Um, and, and it gave us, you know, it gave me a very good answer. I had a, a sort of answer in my head, but I was like, wow, this is very comprehensive and I have to share it with the audience. 
So relying solely on ChatGPT, according to ChatGPT, has the following pitfalls, inaccuracies. So we know that ChatGPT, it's trained on, on you know, large models and, and data sets, but it's not always accurate. Sometimes you're dealing with complex or specialized topics and the results that you're getting may not be 100% accurate. A couple months ago, I asked ChatGPT to provide me with an opinion on share warrants in Jamaica. And it gave me a whole history, legal history of share warrants, not acknowledging that share warrants were repealed in 2017 under our Companies Amendment Act. So there are there is a possibility that you can have inaccuracies. I don't know if we remember that chat GPT lawyer recently who was recently chided by the court in terms of him using and relying on chat GPT. And he, it came up with, with precedents that didn't exist. So he had a whole brief, presented it to the court, but those those cases that he relied on just simply did not exist. So it's important for you to check, even if you are going to use ChatGPT or any new technology, to just make sure you're checking what you're providing, especially before a court of law. Bias. So another thing is bias. So a lot of these data sets and, and, and any kind of automated process might be the result of not only the bias in terms of what is out there on the internet, but also the programmer's bias. So if there are certain social biases that are there, it may actually be present in how the platform works. So that's important as well. Lack of critical thinking. So this uh, another thing where people are like, okay, is ChatGPT going to take over the world? And are we going to be out of a job as lawyers because it's able to present all these precedents? Not necessarily because your critical thinking as an attorney, as a legal practitioner is so important. And chat GPT is just not there yet. Context is always important in responses. Privacy concerns as well. We're going to dig into that a bit more. But of course, privacy is one of the biggest issues with generative AI sharing sensitive information with chat GPT or the type of information it's able to pull off of the internet. We have some serious privacy concerns there. Um, there's also the lack of creativity in the responses because it's able to just pull things from the internet. It may not necessarily substitute for human creativity or originality. And then of course, other thing that we'd want to talk about is copyright issues and cheating. So educators everywhere are just pulling out their hairs because they're like, wow, people are using chat GPT to generate assignments and essays and these kinds of things. And they're now having to try and decipher what is produced by chat GPT and what's produced by the students. And so certainly from an intellectual property point of view that is raising a number of concerns okay so you touched on privacy mm -hmm. and um from what i've observed um in recent times 
um, privacy is a topical issue. You know, people feel as though their privacy is being infringed, whether it's on social media or things of that sort. Um, do you think, in your professional opinion, we have a right, a universal right to privacy? That is a very big question. So um, what we do have is there are various laws that exist around the world that provide variations of that right to privacy. And so in most of our Commonwealth Caribbean constitutions, you do have a general right to privacy in your constitution. And that right to privacy might encompass various aspects, right? So in one constitution, it might be very, very expansive. In another, it might be a bit limited. Here in Jamaica, we do have a right to privacy. And that right has sort of been expanded coming out of one of the what we call the NIDS case, which is a case in the last five or so years, which touched and concerned a national identification system that the government was proposing to um, implement. We have a, an expanded right of privacy where we look, we have a right to informational privacy and privacy of choice. So depending on the jurisdiction you're looking at, it might be very expansive or not. Um, in the EU, they do have in their human rights charter, they do have a right to privacy and they do have a right to the protection of their data as a separate right. And so sometimes the two are kind of conflated. They're not necessarily the same, but there might be overlaps and it might be an expansive right. It just really depends on what jurisdiction you're looking at. And the constitute. if you're looking at a constitutional right, it might include personal data and data protection rights, but isn't necessarily the one and the same. Understood. Um, do you think there is... Um... Sticking on the topic of privacy, of course, do you think there is any credence to those that hold the view that privacy is dead? I don't think so. I think privacy is very, very much alive. Um, I think that the challenge that we're having right now is that because we give so much information freely, and I mean, it's something that most of us young people are guilty of, to be honest with you. We give a lot of information to our social media platforms. We want to share with our friends. We want to let our friends know what we're doing. But by doing that, we do give away a lot of personal data to these um, large organizations who can then sort of perform things on our data in terms of processing it and perhaps using it for illicit um, purposes. But the fact of the matter is that the age that we're living in is digitally connected. We're doing most things on the internet. When our when the internet is down at my office, we are just, <laughs> it's like, okay, it's time to go home <laughs> because there's nothing that we can do without the internet. And, and it's just the nature of the age that we're living in. So I don't think privacy is dead. I think that it's very much something that we need to be mindful of. There are a lot of privacy advocates out there. There are persons who are very willing to go and, and challenge large organizations and, and report them to data protection supervisors and say, hey, I'm not 
even sure if this privacy notice really is very transparent in terms of what they're doing with my data. And there are people out there. It's just the nature of the age that we're living in where it feels like so much things are out in the open and exposed and not private that I I suppose that's why somebody would say privacy is dead. But certainly not. We do have a lot of data protection laws being passed across, not only across the world, but across the Caribbean. A lot, a lot of data protection laws are being passed right now. So certainly I do not think privacy is dead. Okay, understood. I get that. I get that. You didn't make mention on, on that last question that you believe, and I, I, I would agree with you, that a lot of young people tend to share sometimes a little too much on social media. Do you believe that this sometimes could be wrong for them? I mean, of course, I believe that they can uh, regret this, maybe if things go bad at a certain point. But for those who may be unsure, what steps can you give them or what steps can they take really for to protect their own privacy okay. and data, of course? That's a great question. So, um, so to be honest with you, as I said, a lot of us are guilty of sharing a lot of data on 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 social media. I am one as well. But I think that you have to be careful with what you're sharing. So, if it's something that you feel like the public shouldn't see necessarily, it probably shouldn't be on the internet. And one of the things that persons need to be mindful of is that once things are on the internet it's very likely to it's very unlikely that it will be erased they have something known as the right to be forgotten which we see in the general data protection regulation which is the EU law on data protection laws and that allows you to to request that your data is erased but once it's on the internet it's very unlikely that it can truly be forgotten Right. So I think one of the things that you have to be mindful of is if this was to go out to other persons or to my employer or, you know, in another context, would this do I think that it would be, you know, okay in a sense? So I think that everybody has their own questions to ask themselves and not everybody has the same standard. So what might be okay? for Gen Zs might not be okay for millennials and might not be okay for another generation. And I think it's a very subjective thing. So it has to be a a question that you ask yourself, like, okay, what I'm sharing right now, um, is this okay? And then not only that, take a look at your, the privacy policy of Instagram or TikTok or any of these social media platforms you're looking at. Um, Most lawyers even have not, examine these privacy policies and it's so important for us to make sure we know what's being done with our data so those are the two tips that i would give thank you for your tip at this point we'll take a quick break stay with us we'll be right back
All right. Thank you for staying with us here at the Legal Corner podcast series. Now, right before the break, we were talking about some of the uh, privacy issues and how we should protect our data, um, especially bearing in mind our topic for today, which, as we mentioned before, is data protection in the age of chat GPT. Our guest is still with us, Justine Collins. And we're so happy that, you know, we can have uh, someone who specializes in the field of, uh, you know, technology and those things as it pertains to law. And we just wanted to um, get into a little bit more about um, data protection. Now, Justine, um, can you tell us now, we spoke before about the individual. How can a person protect their data? But what about companies? Do you have anything that you can say for companies in a way that they can protect their data? Okay, thanks for that. So so one of the things that I want to just also distinguish between is when we're talking about data protection, data protection is focused on personal data. That is the data of an individual. And so a lot of times there's a misunderstanding that when we're talking about data protection, it's all data generally, which it can relate to that, but it's more so personal data. So it's data that you can identify somebody from. Closely related to that, of course, is data security or information security, where I think companies' data really comes into play. So that would look at, you know, your technical systems, your whether or not you have certain operational efficiencies to ensure that your company data your confidential data, your trade secrets, your business plans, all of that is kept confidential. As individuals, you do have certain rights under various data protection laws, and it's important for you to be mindful of that and exercise your rights accordingly. But companies have a big role to play in terms of ensuring that individuals' personal data is protected. So companies are generally known as data controllers. And data controllers are required to not only keep persons' personal data um, safe, but they are also supposed to have certain lawful basis of processing it. So they have to make sure that they're observing the eight standards, they have a lawful basis for, for processing their data, and if they're transferring data or they're sharing data, they have appropriate contractual um, documents or guarantees in them so that they can share that data. So it's a wide range of obligations that companies have to think about. Um, but certainly, data protection is something that's everybody's business. And, and both individuals and companies need to make sure that they're compliant. I agree with you 100%. Now, before we bring down the kitchen on today's episode, it's it's a very interesting conversation so far. Let us say we have taken all your advice. We have internalized all of your tips in terms of how we, the individual, can protect our data or our company, what we can implement to protect our data. It failed. They didn't work out. What remedies are available for a breach of privacy rights? Well, that's that's a very that's a loaded question in a sense because it would really depend on the jurisdiction in which it happens. But let's say that we are talking about 
Europe or Jamaica. Um, and I think most of the, the, the content of most data protection laws tend to follow what we see in Europe in terms of the general data protection regulation. A lot of the laws being enacted now are following um, the reference from that. So what we have in Jamaica as well as in the GDPR is that if you if you as a controller, if you're a data controller and you're found to be contravening the Data Protection Act, that there's some sort of data breach and um, the information commissioner finds that you're in breach, you are facing penalties of up to 4% of your annual worldwide gross annual worldwide turnover, which is very, very heavy, very, very steep. Some of the fines we see coming out of the GDPR are very extensive. So once we, in Jamaica, our, our Data Protection Act is supposed to come fully into force by December 1. And so we will see the nature of the fines that might come out. But, you know, everybody's at that point where they're trying to get compliant. Understood. Okay, so on that note, we will bring our episode to a close here. We want to thank you so much for your wealth of knowledge, your wealth of information. And I mean, when I when we thought of this topic, Colin and I, we couldn't think of a better person to interview because I mean, you you have have your interests in whether it be financial technology, computer law, or commerce law, and really and truly, we were so happy to have you on the program for today so that we could have gotten really that information to the benefit of our listeners. And we want to thank you so much for your time, for your knowledge, and we hope in the very near future we could bring you back again as a guest here at the Legal Corner Podcast Series. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And anytime you and Colin want me to be back, I'll be here. Thank you for listening to the Legal Corner podcast series. For more information, please visit us at our Facebook or Instagram pages or send your comments to thelegalcornerpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you.